Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. Today is another guest episode, and I'm delighted to welcome Gavin Johnson, who is the founder of Solus Financial Planning. Gavin already had just over 20 years experience as a financial advisor when he was studying for his certified financial planner qualification in 2013 and had a realization that there was a different way. One where advisors took their time to understand each client and understand their future plans and objectives. Today, Gavin is a certified financial planner with over 30 years of experience and many satisfied clients, specializing in providing independent advice to people who have found themselves alone through bereavement or relationship breakdown, a situation he understands all too well due to his own experience. His background and understanding of the needs of his clients has enabled him to develop a strong reputation for personalized, independent financial planning and advice that is highly tailored and bring stability at a time when all else seems uncertain. Welcome to the podcast, Gavin. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on today. Thank you very much, Leslie. It's absolutely lovely to be here and thank you for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? Well, I think it starts back in childhood. Um, I was born, I brought up in Sussex. Um, Money was quite short during my childhood. Um, My father was in his late 40s when I was born. So it was a fairly distant relationship. And he'd already retired due to ill health by the time I was a teenager. Um, He'd had a variety of unskilled jobs. the family university and that just wasn't on the radar for for us it wasn't that they wanted to help hold us back they wanted me and my brother to do well they just had no idea how things worked i went to sixth form college i didn't even understand what ucas was when they started talking about it so i didn't bother to go to any of the meetings or apply until it was too late um so the emphasis was always at home get yourself a steady job because that's what my dad had never had. Um, so I ended up joining Woolworths as a, a management trainee. Good old Woolworths. Um, yeah, yeah, good old Woolies. Um, and I'd always had an interest in personal finance, you know, just sort of reading the papers, the money pages and that sort of thing. 
Um, and I remember knocking on the door of the personnel officer, as it was known in those days, on my 21st birthday to say, can I join the Woolworths pension scheme, please? Because I think that I didn't, you know, I'd seen what my parents were going through with money problems. And we weren't poor, but there wasn't a lot of money there. And I didn't want that sort of future. Anyway, um, after a few years, I was a, I was a store manager and, and an opportunity arose. Um, Kingfisher, who owned Woolworth, B&Q, Comet and Superdrugs at the time, were looking for member representatives for the Kingfisher Pension Trustee, as it was known. This was quite revolutionary at the time. It was something that was bought in uh, legally after the Maxwell affair, but Kingfisher were, were ahead of the, the curve then. So I got myself elected and I spent a few years as a, as a member of the, the pension board. Um, and I started getting asked for guidance by local managers and staff about what to do with the pension. And I thought, oh, I enjoy this. So lo and behold, I go and leave Woolworth to join financial services in, in 1993 right in the middle of a recession. I mean, you know, and um, I had this mission to go and educate the world about pensions. And that's what I wanted to do, you know, to make sure that everybody was was financially secure and, and so forth. Um, I learned fairly quickly that I was brilliant at educating people about pensions, but absolutely rubbish at selling them. And, <laughs> a good bit of self-awareness there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it, it got pointed out to me after about six months when I hadn't written any business, as, as they put it in those days, um, that uh, we needed to work on my sales skills and stop educating people and start selling to them. Otherwise, you're going to be a very poor um, educator. So I built up a practice through cold calling in those days and, and over time linking with an estate agent. And during that time, I mean, you know, money's never been the prime motivator for me beyond the, the sort of security and the comfort. Um, but it's been much more, I think, because of the upbringing, I'd had a sort of feeling of independence. So I'd, I'd got my own practice down in Sussex. Um, but in 2007, I moved with my then wife to Essex and I knew nobody. So I joined the world of employment once again. Um, but last year started Solace Financial Planning, um, mainly with the aim of running a business how I felt it should be done with the emphasis on helping people, um, particularly those going through divorce, relationship breakdown or bereavement to help them gain more confidence and knowledge about their money and, and be able to secure their financial future. Mm. So that's my sort of story, as it were. Interesting, really interesting. So there's two questions that immediately spring to mind there. The first being, so you've you've now left the world of employment and mm. are now in the world of you know being an entrepreneur. How differently have you had to approach this new venture to when you were in employment? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, one of the things in my previous role, I, I had negotiated a flexible contract where I worked nine days a week. Uh, sorry, nine days a fortnight. I was going to say, <laughs> that doesn't sound very flexible. <laughs> No, nine, nine, nine days a nine days a fortnight. So condensing the hours and, and still doing the hours, but getting a day off every other week. Yeah, and that was nice. And I thought, oh, if I go and set up for myself, maybe I can work towards a four day week. Yeah, for the first eight months, I was working six and a half. And I think so, we do we do underestimate the time it yeah. takes to build a business. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just the client aspect. Um, it's the regulatory aspect as well as the running the business. It's right. It's all three plates. And I was looking back to the situation where I had had my own practice in Sussex up up until 2007. But so much has changed since then that, you know, that that aspect of it. I mean, it's all sorted now, but the first six to eight months were a, a huge learning curve. But you know, we're through that now and um, looking at you know growing the business and, and talking to a lot of people. I've got a support team around me now, which is great. And um, things are moving well. So that's that. It, it was a good move. Yes. But the most important thing is being able to shape the business towards the needs of the people that, that I want to help. And how do the needs of your clients, so in terms of their bereaved or their separated divorce, how do you think they differ from the needs of other clients that are not going through those situations? In a lot of the cases, um, it's because um, the person that has been bereaved or the person that gets referred to me because they're going through a separation or a divorce is often the person that hasn't been the one that is organising the, the family finances. And it's still very, very common um, for one person in the relationship to take sole responsibility for that. And when the other party finds themselves on their own, there's a level of panic, there, there, there's a vulnerability there. Um, about what do I do and how do I do it and, and how do I cope with all of this stuff? Because we don't teach finances in school. People don't come out of college or university with, with you know, how things work in the, in the financial world. Um, and the financial services arena, you know, does make it more complicated than it needs to be sometimes um so people just need someone to say well look you know this is let's put all of this into perspective no and you're right and i think when when you're going through a bereavement when you're going through a divorce and what is normal to you is no longer your norm essentially and if you have left certain aspects you know of your day-to-day -day life to somebody else to to manage to have somebody who is able to understand what you're going through, but also to explain to you the important things that you need to understand rather than it's the jargon, I think, very often mm -hmm. that can be off-putting to people. Just as you said, you know, during your introduction that you hadn't heard of UCAS, you know, and, and therefore you didn't know 
what that meant, what that stood for, and therefore what you should be doing with regards to attending those sessions, filling in a relevant form, etc. I think I think with finances and with money, because it's something that we are discouraged from talking about. This is why this podcast was started in the first place, to encourage those conversations. But because we are discouraged and because when we get to a certain point in life, very often we can feel if we haven't asked those questions already, it's too late to be asking them now because I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to give the impression I don't know what I'm doing. And then when you add that layer of, what is going on when you are bereaved or going through a divorce, it must be very overwhelming to then add the layer of of money and what to do next on top of all of that. Absolutely. I, I had a case just yesterday afternoon with somebody and she used those exact words. She said, I feel so stupid and so embarrassed. I said, Don't be. It's, it's it's not your fault that, you know, we have all of this jargon that inevitably gets condensed into, you know, three-letter abbreviations. But, you know, half the time the people don't understand what the abbreviations is, what, what the whole jargon is. And it's just about simplifying that and breaking it down and explaining it in, you know, simple, easy-to-understand terms. I use a lot of diagrams and pictures. They seem to do the job for people. Yeah. And I think as well, it, you know, it can't, so there is very much, you know, a shame that can be associated with money that if, if you don't know how to do certain things, if you don't understand, you know, the jargon. But I think of, you know, our household and in my household, it is my husband that does the laundry. I don't do the laundry. We've decided, you know, I will do the cooking and the shopping. He will do the laundry. Fortunately, we have somebody that does the ironing for us and we have people that do the cleaning for us. But the way things are broken up in our household, and I can remember my husband was away. It was a new washing machine. My husband was away. I was going to do the washing because he was away. And I didn't have a clue whether the washing powder went in one part of the drawer or another part of the drawer. Mm. And it's not that I am stupid. It's just I don't do that particular part mm. of the action of the household chores, essentially. Mm. And it can be very, very, you know, the same with money. For some people, yes, it can come down to control because money can be used to control in a relationship. But also it can be purely down to this is what I will do. This is what you will do. And you don't think of the the consequences with regards to what happens when that person isn't there. And I yeah. think to you, you, we all need anybody that's listening to this, and they feel, well, that's me. You know, I I don't know about. Maybe this is that opportunity to say, let me put myself in the shoes of somebody who does need to find out, does need to know how and where the finances are running in my house so that if I am put into that situation, I'm not left wanting as far as understanding is concerned. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think the important thing to to also emphasise is that um, 
quite aside from it not being a weakness in the individual that they don't know these things, it's definitely not weak people. I mean, I've got one particular client, extremely strong, um, very positive, assertive, successful businesswoman. She said to me, Gavin, I have to admit, I don't know how pensions work. I've got a pension sharing order for the divorce. I hate doing this, but I'm going to have to hand it over to you for advice because you know what you're doing. Um, It's absolutely competent and confident in every other area of of her life, except for that one area. And that's what people, you know, it's what we all need to do, I think, is recognize when it's time to get somebody else who knows how to do something better than you involved. And I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It's having that confidence to recognize what you are good at, mm. what you know about, and what is not your, you know, your area, your zone of genius. Mm. Mm. And I think the whole area of finance has year on year become more and more complicated. Mm. And I can clearly remember there was an advert from HMRC probably about three years ago saying tax doesn't need to be taxing. And I thought, no, it doesn't need to be taxing, but you make it taxing. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the problem when you bring in so much regulation and so much documentation because of that regulation and because of different caveats and different clauses, etc., people can become overwhelmed. But not just that, because there are so many charlatans and so many sharks out there, it is being really, really careful about how and who you go to for the right advice. And I think what I really like and respect about what you do, a lot of the work that you get is through referrals. And that creates that safe network for people. Because there there can be nothing worse, I would imagine, than going through what they are going through, and then almost having to pick out a yellow pages not yellow pages these days, but it's, it's a good analogy to use and to look at financial advice, financial advisors. You know, who do I go to? Who do I ask? What do I ask? But I think when you have when you have the right referral network and people who endorse what you do and know that you are a safe pair of hands, putting your hand up as that individual and being able to say, look. I really don't know. I really don't know what to do. But to know they're in safe hands at probably the most vulnerable time in their lives as well must be hugely reassuring. Yeah, I think I think it is for I think it is for people. And it's it's about taking that time as well. You know, time is extremely useful in this process and it's it's about slowing things down. Um one of the things I often find is that there is a tendency for people, um, they go into what we call system one thinking. Um, there's a book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. And system one thinking, as he describes it, is is very sort of knee-jerk. It's almost the fight and flight. 
and it's not unusual for somebody to to have an initial meeting with me and they're all sort of oh you know i know what to do and i've, I've been thinking about this and what i need to do is we'll, we'll it's like just let's let's just slow it down let's, let's just calm down and 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 just take it easy um let's just have a chat explore what your situation is how you're feeling and how you're interacting and, and just get them into what he calls system two thinking which is then when the the thought processes come through we think more rationally and slowly it's the old you know i can't see the wood for the trees scenario yeah. sometime and that's that's a great healer and i would say to anybody listening you know if you've got somebody particularly in financial services but but anywhere that that is trying to hurry you along that's not right you know they should be moving at your pace um and sometimes even slower just to give you time to reflect and think about what you do the fca has put all sorts of um there I go with jargon, financial conduct authority. <laughs> They've put all sorts of uh, processes in place to give people time to to think about what they've done. But you know, people should be taking that time throughout the process, not just at the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. And what are, you know, it's very difficult, I know, in, in the course of a podcast to give a give a masterclass. And that that's not what this question is all about. But People very often feel a little bit more comfortable when they have a little bit of knowledge. What are some of the basics that people should be trying to equip themselves with or trying to educate themselves on just to ensure they are they're keeping themselves safe in that first instance so i'm sure that lots of listeners like me have had phone calls from example saying you know we've been advised by the government and we've been asked by the government to contact everybody that has a private pension to ensure you have the right level of provision when actually i am so well versed in scams you know i know that is not a genuine call basically but not but not everybody you know ha- is is a savvy sometimes, particularly when put in pressurized situations. So what would you what would be some of the tips you would give to allow people to just in those first instances equip themselves with a certain amount of information to give themselves that confidence? Okay. So um one of the things that I often talk to people about, um, and it casts my mind back to my childhood, is that in our house, we had a larder, a fridge, and a freezer. Now, the larder was where my mum would keep dry goods, but she'd also keep things in there if we were going to have family round for tea. It was stuff we were going to use at very short notice. We had a fridge. We all know what a fridge is for. You keep stuff in there for a week or so, and a freezer is for longer. And that's an analogy I'll use with money is that you need to make sure that your larder is stocked. That's your current account. You make sure that you've got enough money in there that you can meet your everyday living expenses. Your fridge is for your savings, and that's divided into things that you know you're going to spend money on in the next couple of years or so. One of the big issues is people leaving themselves without enough emergency money. Life has a habit of springing surprises on us, and you need to make sure that you've got enough money in there for things you're going to spend money on, be it holidays or planning for a new car or or whatever it is. 
always get yourself into a situation where somebody is paying you some interest for using your money, not you paying them interest for using their money. And then once you've done that, your freezer is your longer term. That's your saving for long term, be it retirement or a a particular goal. When you've got the first two sorted, then you need to start looking at getting advice from an authorised financial advisor. And that's where you can turn to the Financial Conduct Authority and check out anybody. As you've kindly mentioned, referrals and recommendations are always a good place to start. But there are other ways to look. So if anybody is given to you as a recommendation, go on to the Financial Conduct Authority website. Make sure that they are registered. Make sure that there is what they call an FCA number, because then you can actually you know, make sure that they are dealing in authorised products. You know, stay away from the, um, from the scams, the unregulated people that are out there. I love that analogy of the the larder, the fridge and the freezer. And I've written that down because I think being able to break it down into those simplistic terms and, you know, you and I are very much on the same page. You know, when I when I speak to clients, it is about particularly clients who want to reduce their level of debt. You know, it's not an unhealthy level of debt in terms Mm. of, um, you know, there's no kind of court things in place. They're not going to be bailiffs knocking on their door, but they want to reduce down the amount of credit card debt they have. They want to reduce down their reliance on an overdraft, et cetera, et cetera. And I will always say to them, before you think about reducing your debt, build up a savings pot, first of all, because if you don't have a savings pot, all that's going to happen when those things like boilers breaking down or something happens to your car, tyres need replacing, Mm -hmm. if you haven't got that pot of money, all that's going to happen is you're paying down your debt. You're going to have to reuse your credit card then in order to pay for those little things that happen. But if you're creating that fund using your fridge analogy, that allows you then to be looking at the bigger picture. And I love the fact that you separated, you know, you can manage your larder and your fridge. But when it comes to your freezer, go and find some regulated advice a regulated advisor who can actually hold your hand through the different ways to look at longer term investment plan for your retirement and to make it as effective as possible and i'm very very um what I'm looking for. I'm very visual when it comes to how I remember things. So I'm always now going to have your larder, your fridge and your freezer in my head. I think I'm going to pinch it actually because that is so good. (laughs) Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) So as far as far as your your clients are concerned, what what are they coming to you expecting you to do for them? That's a really good question, because often what they're expecting um, is what they get at the end of it. But there's a bit that goes in the middle, because often people will come in with a carrier bag or a box full of documents. They'll slap them on the table and they'll go, right, um, I need help with this. And on many occasions, they've walked 
out of the meeting room with the box or the bag and they've said we haven't actually got around to talking about this yet but I love how we've talked about what we want to do we've never talked about that before because if I don't understand what somebody wants to do with their life what right have I got to advise them on their money you can't help people to plan for their future if they don't know what they want their future to look like so the first meeting is just sitting down with a notepad and and just having a chat it's talking to them about what they they want their life to look like in the short term the medium term um and then just drawing that out and when i say drawing it out it it then becomes in in literal sense drawing it out because I use something called cash flow forecasting. So we have a timeline and we say, well, look, this is where you are now. And we'll draw this timeline out over the next 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it is, with significant events, might be retirement or children going into uni or whatever it is. Once we've got that in place, then we can start setting out the milestones and looking at what you're going to need. So what resources have you got available to you now? What resources are going to become available to you in in the future? And what resources might you need to help you to achieve what it is that you want to do in life? So that's that's the first stage. Um, That's something called lifestyle financial planning. Um, It was something I discovered a few years ago through a guy who's had a huge influence on my career called Paul Armson. Um, And it's about helping people to identify, achieve their desired lifestyle. Once we've got that in place, then we turn to the financial planning side of things, which is then the sort of the strategy. Okay, so what have you got? You've got some pensions, you've got some ISAs, you've got some savings accounts, you've got some shares, whatever it is. What's the best strategy? Once we've got all of that in place, the third stage is the, right, now I'm going to advise you on what to do with your ISAs, your pensions, your savings accounts, whatever. And that's the way that I believe that it should be done. There are unfortunately still too many cases where a lot of people rush straight to the third stage. Mm. But that then tends to leave the client in a situation where they're just as bemused as they were before. But now they've just got a whole new set of paperwork and they don't understand that any more than they did the first set. And if you sit down with them at some point and say, well, why did you do what you did? Hmm, don't really know. But he said it was a good idea. Yeah. Whereas I want somebody to be able to say to me, that's what we did. That's why we did it. And I think as well, in doing it in the way that you do it, it puts the control, you know, back with the person you're having the conversation with. They're talking about life happening again for them rather than life happening to them and viewing their money as something that can work for them rather than something that is against them. And I think that is, you know, that's really, really empowering because I think we, one of the big things that can happen and women in particular, you know, this happens to them. We give our power away. We give 
that power that money can give to us, we give away to somebody else. And when we actually take back that power, so sitting down with you and talking through their ambitions, talking through their goals, talking about how this next stage of life can be for them, and you can help them to realise how their money can work for them in order to be able to deliver those goals, I can only imagine gives them a huge amount of not just relief, because you do it in a way that empowers them and takes away that need to make a very quick decision about something they're still not feeling hugely confident about because of the way the finance industry has been presented to them, but actually gives them back a huge amount of hope. And with hope comes confidence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, One of the things is that it's their plan. As I say to them, it's your plan. It's not my plan. It's your plan. Yeah. I'm just helping you to realise it. Um, I had one client who I met her 10, 12 years ago. And as part of this process, I said to her, look, you are going to have to downsize. If you want to do everything that you do in, in, in life, then you're going to need to downsize because the resource that's available to you includes the property and you will run out of money if you have a long and healthy, happy life. So I said, you're going to need to downsize in about 10 years time, which would have been about now. Now, she downsized three years ago because she said, look, what you did was you gave me that time to be able to think about it, get used to the idea. I was able to have a look around. I didn't wake up in the morning at three o'clock and think, oh, my goodness, I'm going to run out of money. She said, I I was able to have a look around. I saw a lovely house and made an offer. I put it on the market. That house wouldn't have been available now if I if I hadn't had the, the the time to prepare and plan and think it through. So it's all worked out well, and she hasn't had to to panic. She's in control, and she moved to the place she wanted to move when she wanted to do it. And I think that's fantastic because I think very often when something is presented to us as a lack of choice, something that we have to do, we may not only be resentful, we could end up feeling as though that's our fault because we haven't catered for our longer term requirements, or we can end up feeling scared because we need to make what we perceive to be a very quick decision. Whereas in her case, she was able to just allow that thought process to percolate over a longer period of time and actually work out what she wanted. And for lots of us, downsizing is something that we plan to do when our children have left home, when we're aware that there's a you know big lump sum of equity in that house that's not going anywhere, essentially, if we don't utilize it. Being mm-hmm. able to thoughtfully come to a decision with regards to the next step you want to take as opposed to you have to take, I would imagine that's a huge gift to somebody that really, really empowers them. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I also had a situation where it was the exact opposite. A few years ago, a couple came in to see me and they'd run through some sums and they were panicking. They were in system one mode. We need to downsize. We need to do. I said, well, let's just. And actually, through the whole process of saying, right, well, let's let's reorganize this and, and so forth. Yes, you, you may well have to downsize, but you won't have to downsize for at least 10 years. So now you can think about it and take it. You don't have to, because they were all ready to, to, to go and put an offer on somewhere that, that wouldn't have been appropriate. They knew it wasn't appropriate. It would have cost them a lot of money to get into it, it would have a lot of cost them a lot of money to get out. And so, you know, it saved them tens of thousands of pounds. So it's it's about having that time, that 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 planning ability there. And to realise it's a process, you know, just like planning for your retirement. You know, I know, you know, for, for lots of us, we started, you know, our pension plan back at a point in time when retirement seemed something that was never, ever going to happen. You know, for me, I think I was 21 when I had my first, started my first pension when I was working in BT. Still have that pension now. It's frozen. They don't work there anymore. But it's still there ticking over for me, ready for when I when I do, if I ever decide to retire, but at least when I decide to draw upon it. I think as entrepreneurs, actually, the thought of retiring Stopping working is not something probably comes naturally, but actually drawing that pension at some point in the future is not something you ever thought was going to happen when you were 21. You don't envisage being in your late 50s, in your early 60s, etc. But actually thinking about your home as one of those investments and your home supporting your next chapter, be that being closer to your your grown-up family, living closer to a certain part of the world, etc., and seeing it as something that can be part of your financial planning, but coming to that process in a way that suits you rather than feeling panicked into, I think is a really, really nice way to approach it. And I think it's quite clear with your clients, you know, that that's the support that they get. So how can people connect with you to find out more, Gavin? Well, I, I do have a website. Um, so they can find me at solacefinancial.co.uk. I am on LinkedIn if people are on LinkedIn. And of course, as I've previously mentioned, they can always look me up on the FCA website. Uh, there's a register there of all advisors in the UK and, and I'm on that. Brilliant. And all of those details will be in the show notes so that people can easily connect with you. Thank you very much for your time today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've learned lots as well. And as I've mentioned, I will now never forget your larder, your fridge and your freezer. Thank you very much, Gavin. Thank you, Leslie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly Money Mindset Audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now. 
and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.